Um, we're going to dive into our sermon now, and uh, if you've been with us, we've been going through this uh, series called the Letter of the Epistles of Jesus, and we're studying the seven letters that Jesus wrote to the seven churches in Asia Minor that are found in the book of Revelation. And um, today, uh, it, it's really interesting because today's uh, sermon is very, very similar to last week's sermon that Pastor Kenny gave on compromise. Okay, Pergamum and Thyatira, which we're studying today, were, is, is almost exactly the same. The situation that Thyatira is going through is almost the exact same situation that Pergamum is going through. And that is the small, tiny, little compromises. And yet, here's the thing, right? Some errors are okay. It's okay to make some errors. But there are some errors in life that we cannot, absolutely cannot make. Because if we make these errors, it could be devastating. Right? Let me give you an example. Right? On January 26, 2020, nearly four years to the date, and you might, especially the 4U sports fans, you might already know where I'm going with this, right? Kobe Bryant, along with eight others, including his daughter Gianna, died in a helicopter crash. And what's, what's really sad and heartbreaking is that it was a little minor error on the pilot's end that then ended everybody's life. A little minor error and it can actually happen to any pilot they say you know as you know in the news right we've been talking about Boeing and how this like I'm sorry if you work for Boeing I'm sure it's been very stressful for you we're praying for you I promise you okay we know that the airplane uh, door blew out right uh, while it was ascending uh, into the upper altitudes and here's the thing right that Boeing airplane was probably 99.9% accurate but that 0.1%, as it was ascending into the air, then right that one screw, that one glue, whatever it is, then blew out the door, and now everyone's freaking out. They had to ground all these planes. I'm sure some of your flights got canceled because of all of this stuff, right? Uh, it's, it's mayhem right now because of a 0.1% error. And this is why some errors, right, some errors are okay, and we can recoup from those things. But some errors we cannot. And this is precisely what I think this passage is talking about today. That in some sense, all of us in this room are leaders. We're influencers. You influence the people around you. You are not a galaxy to your own. You don't have this bubble around you where you do not influence anybody. You are influencing people constantly. In other words, let me put it like this. You are all piloting an airplane. It might be a small airplane of one or two people. It might be a huge airplane of 300 people. And so this message, honestly, most applies to me. Because I pilot a plane that's quite large, honestly. And, and, and yet here's the thing, right? As we begin influencing people, what are we influencing people to? What are we teaching people? How are we influencing people? Because we're all leading people. And here's the point. We could be leading people astray actually this is why we have to be very careful about how we live we have to be very careful about what we believe because these minor errors could cause a spiritual airplane crash so with that said let's open up our bibles to revelation chapter 2 we're going to be looking at 18 to 28 okay you're going to hear jesus language here it's very sharp okay and we'll get to that okay and especially if you're not a believer here you're probably like, whoa jesus sounds like a you know like one of those hellfire preachers but but hold on a second let me explain everything to you because i think at, by the end you'll understand why jesus is being so harsh okay with that said would you all rise with me as we read revelation 2 18 to 28 uh, I'll read this for us. At the end, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. Uh, and then I'll, I'll seat you after the reading of God's word. 
This is the reading of God's word. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent. But she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. You can go ahead and be seated. All right, we have three points. I told you, kind of like a harsh passage, right? It's kind of crazy. Okay, so don't worry. We'll get to all of it, okay? Uh, three points, the challenge, the prize, and the truth. The challenge, the prize, and the truth. All right, let's dive into our first point, the, the challenge, okay? Look with me at verse 20, okay? Uh, I know tech team, I'm skipping around, but let's just dive into verse 20 here, okay? This is uh, what I think to be sort of the, the, the summary of what Jesus is trying to say here, okay? He says this, but... He goes straight to the condemnation. Okay, we're going to go straight to the condemnation. We say commendation, condemnation. Okay, here's the condemnation. But I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Here's the interesting part, okay? This church was not practicing sexual immorality, nor were they eating foods offered to idols. They were simply tolerating a woman who was teaching these things. That's all they were doing. In fact, look with me at verse 19. Here's the commendation, okay? This is God is, Jesus saying, this is what's good about you. I, I, I praise this about you, okay? Look at what he says. He says, I know your works, your love and faith and servants and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first. So if you've been with us, right, in week one, we talked about the church in Ephesus, and you remember them, right? They couldn't put up with the teachings of the Nicolaitans. They fought off false teaching. But what were they doing? They lost their first love. And remember what I said in week one, losing their first love wasn't this kind of like dispassionate opposition, but rather they were not witnessing to a watching world. And yet what Jesus is saying here is he says, look, your, your latter works exceed the first. So in other words, actually from your first love, it's grown a lot. You, you had this first love, you, you were a witness to the watching world, and you've continued to do that, and you far exceed that. You are evangelistic. Not only that, but they have love, and faith, and service, and he says patient endurance. That means that they were suffering for the name of Jesus. This is an incredibly faithful church, actually. And yet Jesus says this one thing, it's like, it, it looks really small, but I'm telling you, it's huge, it's ginormous. And here's the thing that you're doing, you're tolerating this woman named Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality. So most of the church wasn't doing this. Rather, they were just putting up with this one woman, 
and we'll talk about her in a moment, who was teaching something false. She was teaching something false. We're pretty certain this woman's name wasn't Jezebel. That's probably referring us back to 1 Kings chapter 16, 21. There's a queen named Jezebel who influences the nation of Israel to move away from worshiping Yahweh to then worshiping Baal. And so that's probably why he gives her the name Jezebel, but that's probably not her name. That's all they were doing was putting up with this teaching. But here's the point. And it'll be up here on the screens, uh, tech team, if you could put this up. What you tolerate is what you teach, and what you allow is what you advocate. What you tolerate is what you teach, and what you allow is what you advocate for, actually. Let me give you an example of this, okay? My son is in kindergarten, and uh, his kindergarten teacher is amazing. We love her so much. She's such an amazing teacher. And uh, one of the things that she does is she actually has a trampoline about this size here, okay? It's like not that big, but it's right, uh, right by her desk. And my wife, by the way, is a kindergarten teacher. And so we went in for parent-teacher conference. We see the trampoline, and my wife is like, how in the world do you have this trampoline in your room, and you don't have these kindergartners running up and just jumping on this thing all the time? That's that's incredible. And, and, and our, our, our son's kindergarten teacher said something to this effect. She was basically saying like, on day one, what I do is I explain to the kids, if you touch this trampoline, if you jump on it, even if, you, if it distracts you, you get around it, you're kind of nearing it, right? You're like hovering around it. Even if you sniff the trampoline, I'm going to take it away and I'm going to put it away. It's gone for the day. She didn't say the sniffing part. I added that part in, okay? But, but she's basically saying, like, if this distracts him at all, I just take it away. And so day one came around, this kid started touching it, and she was like, okay, it's all done, boom, she put it away. Because here's the thing, right, if she didn't put it away, what is she, she's then teaching the kids, it's okay, it's okay for you to actually touch this. It's okay for you to disobey me. It's like my words don't matter, actually. What you tolerate is what you teach, what you allow is what you advocate for. Here's another kind of flip side story, okay, this is another... Um, kind of the opposite end of the spectrum, but uh, I went to uh, a mission trip at the Philippines uh, when I was about 18 years old, and uh, I, this was one of my first mission trips, and uh, you know, I, at some point, they gave us a big bag of candy, and they said to me, go pass it out in the village, and so they brought with me a translator. I went out into the village, very, very poor village, um, and all of a sudden, these kids just started flocking around me, and they were literally pressing their bodies up against mine, and I was holding this bag of candy like this, and I was like, oh my goodness, and, and so I, I stopped, and I was like, hey, can you tell the kids this do not grab the bag of candy do not reach into it i'm going to pass out candy when i pass it to you can you go away okay because i got to pass out to all these kids there was like 50 or 60 kids there and so they're pressing up against my body i start passing it out and then all of a sudden one kid just reaches into the bag um, just grabs a bunch of candy and then runs away at that point i should not have tolerated that behavior i should have just said you know what? We're done. Boom. All the candy gone. But I, I tolerated it. I allowed it. And because I allowed it, I advocated for it. And so guess what happened? I'm passing it out. And then soon enough, another hand comes in. Boom. Grabs it. Runs away. And then all of a sudden, it starts snowballing. Three, four, five hands start coming in. And then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting mugged almost. And the kids grab the candy bag and they start grabbing it, pulling it down. And then soon enough, the whole uh, bag rips in half. It all pours out to the ground. And then it's like Lord of the Flies, anarchy. The kids are just grabbing everything, eating, you know, and they're running away. And it was just mayhem. You see, this minor error of just tolerating something allowed for 
allowed me to teach them that this was okay. It allowed me to teach them that this little compromise is okay. And yet what you tolerate is what you teach. And what you allow is what you advocate for. And this is what's happening in the church. Most of the church was faithful. Most of the church was enduring suffering. Most of the church was doing great things. But there was a small segment where they were tolerating this woman Jezebel who was teaching something. Now, here's something I want you to know. We're going to talk about what she was teaching. But before we move on about what she was teaching, I want you to notice this, okay? I want you to, this is sort of a little excursus, but I want you to notice, okay? John and Jesus do not condemn this woman for being a woman preacher, you know what I'm saying? Like, they're not saying like, oh, you are a woman, you should not teach. They are, they are assuming that she's a woman and that she should be teaching. And so I want you to notice that Jesus is not upset that a woman is teaching. He's upset about what she's teaching. He's not upset that a woman is teaching. He's upset that what she's teaching. Because here in the early church, what you have to understand about the early church is that men and women were leaders in the church. Um, um, you know, if you read the book of Acts, for example, right, in the book of Acts, it says this in Acts chapter 8, verse 3, but Saul, who then turns to Paul, was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women. So Paul, uh, Saul is persecuting the church, and he persecutes both men and women. Interesting. Look at Acts chapter 9, verse 2, and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women. So Paul, Saul, uh, persecuted men and women. Why? Why? Why is this important? Because here's the thing, in Rome, they only persecuted the leaders of the organization, not, not just anybody. This is actually why Christianity was so attractive initially, was because Christianity was an oasis for women. And so they would come and they'd be like, oh my goodness, like, I, I actually have a voice here. I actually, I actually can lead. I can share. That's why Lydia in Acts chapter 16, she, she's actually a matron uh, and she actually houses house, uh, home churches. If you look all throughout the letters in, Rome, uh, in Romans chapter 16, there's a whole list there of women who are leading in the church. In fact, there's a woman named Phoebe who's a deaconess of the church. And so here, let's go back to the passage. Right? John is not upset that a woman is teaching. Rather, it's what she's teaching. And here, this, you know, this is what we think is going on. We're not 100% certain, but this is what we think is going on, okay? And I want you to notice this, though, okay? False teaching, false teaching always just takes you know one degree it just takes a little bit of a compromise in your teaching and all of a sudden what you'll realize is that you'll end up a hundred miles away from your destination because that's what happens where right? you you sail a ship imagine if you're one degree off and you sail that ship for a day what you'll realize is after a day you'll be a hundred miles away from your actual destination because you keep going 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 and as soon enough the destination is here and you're all the way over here a hundred miles away and I want you to notice that about this teaching, okay? What Jezebel was probably teaching was something like this, okay? Uh, in, in Thyatira, they were known for their trade guilds. They were like unions, okay? And so there was candle making, there was fabric making, there was dye, uh, fabric dye making, uh, there was uh, seamstresses, there were all these trade guilds, okay? And in those trade guilds, as I mentioned before, they were religious in nature. So when I was talking to, for example, to our Taiwan missionaries, they would tell us that in Taiwan, actually, uh, they, they, the, the businesses in Taiwan would actually worship and sacrifice to the gods so that they would get more money, actually. And I know here in the West that sounds strange, but in the East it's not that strange that a business would be religious in nature. And this is how the trade guilds were. If you joined a candle-making trade guild, uh, you would have to worship the god of whatever that trade guild worshipped. You would have to uh, say Caesar's Lord as well as the gods of that, of that particular trade guild. And, and, and so uh, in, in these trade guilds, right, as they would worship these gods, these, these worship services weren't like our worship services. They were like feasts. They were like parties. 
And so these parties would include food that were uh, sacrificed to the gods. They would include wine and drinking and getting drunk. And they would, uh, they would be filled with sexual immorality. And what, what, what this woman Jezebel was probably saying uh, was something like this. She was probably saying this, right? Like, like, look, look, look. The idols are worthless. Who's, who's king of the universe? Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ is the only real God. All the other gods in the world are, are, are nothing. They don't even exist. And we would, everybody in this room would say, amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. That's right. Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. He's the only God. And so therefore, if you go to these parties, don't worry. Because even if you eat the foods, even if you drink the wine, even if you do the celebrations, it's fine because you're worshiping nobody. So go ahead. It's okay. Go to the parties. Because all of those religious acts are meaningless. You see how it's just one degree off, one degree off. There's a difference between observing something religious, like literally watching it. Like it's like for me to go into a Hindu temple and watch a Hindu religious service. But then there's another thing for me to participate in that Hindu religious service and to actually worship the Hindu gods. And what Jezebel was teaching is just one degree off, right? Just one degree off. Jesus Christ is king. He's the only real God. All the other idols don't exist. So everything that happens here is meaningless. So it's okay. Go. The other thing, the other thing she was most likely teaching is something like this, right? And I've taught this too, okay? I've taught this, right? That the things of this world, money, fame, success, these things are worthless, right? Just a few weeks ago, I said the crown of this world is nothing. The crown of life is everything, guys. Like, don't pursue the crown of the world. It's the crown of life, the spiritual life. The spiritual things are good. And most likely what Jezebel was saying is, yeah, that's right. The things of this world are meaningless, but the spiritual things are what really matter. And so guess what? Anything you do with your body sexually, it's okay. Because that's the physical stuff. The physical stuff is meaningless. It doesn't matter what you do here in the body. It doesn't matter because all of this is worthless. The only things that matter are spiritual in nature. One degree off and all of a sudden, people are being dragged towards these parties that are sexually immoral in nature. And by the way, these parties um, were mandatory. If you're part of a trade guild, you would lose uh, your, your economic status. You would, you would probably find yourself in social isolation. The closest thing I could think of it is in South Korea, there's a practice known as uh, heshik. I don't know if I'm saying that right for all the Korean people. My, my wife was like, it's heshik, not heshik. So sorry, heshik, okay? Uh, apparently in Korea, right, uh, if you work for a company, right, your boss says, hey, let's go out and drink afterwards. Let's get drunk. Like in Korea, like you can't say no. Because if you say no, you're, you're sacrificing promotion, you're sacrificing social isolation from the rest of the team, right? You could, you could find yourself on the outside. So a lot of people end up going, but a lot of Christians are like, wait, wait a second, wait, I, I don't know if I can do that. And this is sort of what it's like, right? If they didn't go to these religious practices, they could find themselves on the outside without a job and without any social relationships, And what Jesus is saying here is don't put up with that false teaching. I know what she's saying sounds kind of true, but that's precisely why it's false. Because false teaching never sounds right. I mean, it always sounds right. right. False teaching always sounds kind of right. Because, look, imagine this, right? Imagine this. I I would never come up to you and say, Eric No is Lord and Savior of the universe, everyone. I'm the Lord and Savior of the whole universe. You'd be like, that's false teaching. And of course that's false teaching. But you know that because right, it's so blatant. But imagine if I said this to you and said, I said, you know what, guys? Don't you ever dare, don't you dare ever talk about me behind my back. That's gossip. 
No, but imagine if I'm actually doing bad things. Imagine if I'm actually cheating on my wife, I'm stealing money from the church, and I'm bullying our staff. Imagine if I'm doing that. You should actually talk about me behind my back. You should actually go report me to the elders. You should do that. But if I tell you never, ever, and if you talk to the elders about me behind my back, you are gossiping about me. Do you see what I'm doing now? I don't have to tell you I'm Lord and Savior, but I'm creating a context where I'm untouchable now. One degree off, man, and you end up uh, millions of miles away from the correct doctrine. What you tolerate is what you teach. What you allow is what you're advocating for. Are you tolerating false teaching in your life? Or let me ask you this. Look, this is going to sound a little harsh, a little crazy, but let me explain, okay? Or maybe are you a false teacher leading people astray just by one degree? You know, Matthew chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus says something really interesting, right? Look at, look at what it says. It'll be up here on the screens for you, okay? And by the way, this sermon, mind you, it's, it's mainly for me, okay? It's mainly for me because I, I lead this church, right? And so I, I, this was a wake-up call for me, okay? Look what he says, though, Matthew 5, 19. Therefore, whoever teaches, uh, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, okay, the least of the, if you relax the least of these commandments, if you just relax the least of them, okay, and teaches others to do the same, in other words, if you model for people the least, you don't got to obey the least of these commandments and then you model that for them, you're teaching others to do the same, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them, whoever models them, whoever does them and models them and teaches others will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Look at what it says in Matthew 18 verse 6. It says, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Such harsh language. But Jesus is saying, look, even if you get it one degree off and you start teaching people, you could lead them towards an error that would be devastating to their lives. In fact, in Galatians, right, there's this interesting interaction. Paul uh, is in Antioch and in Antioch, he ends up confronting Peter the apostle. And the reason why he confronts Peter the Apostle is because before the Jewish people get there, before James and the other Jewish folks get there, he's like hanging out with the Gentiles. He's hanging out with the Jewish people. He's super inclusive. He's, uh, you know, ethnically and racially inclusive. He's hanging out with the Gentiles and the Jews. All of a sudden, James and some of these Jewish brothers come along to Antioch. And all of a sudden, Peter's like, oops, I'm not going to hang out with you people anymore. I'm just going to hang out with the Jewish folks only. And look at what Paul says about Peter and what he says to Peter in verse 11 of Galatians chapter 2. He says, but Cephas, that's Peter, when Cephas came to Antioch, I posed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. He was eating. He was inclusive. He was including all these Gentile folks. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. He drew back. And look at this though, verse 13. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically. He influenced them. He, Peter didn't preach a sermon. He just lived a certain way. And then everyone else followed him. And then look at this. So that even Barnabas was led astray. He didn't have to preach anything. He just lived a certain way. And he was preaching a false gospel. And so Paul has to correct him. So that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Are you tolerating or are you teaching other people to relax the commands of Jesus by the way you live? Right? We're all piloting these spiritual airplanes and we have people in the back. You have children, parents, you have kids, and you're piloting your, your, your family right now. Right? You're piloting your family spiritually and what you do in life, you're teaching your kids something. And if you tolerate some th certain things and if you advocate for certain things, you're teaching all your kids something. 
And yeah, today it might not mean a lot, but think 10, 15, 20 years from now, they might start believing something crazy. Look, um, I'm going to address something. Uh, one of the, so I, I was trying to think about how to make this message practical. And I was trying to think of some examples of false teaching, okay? To just put some more meat around it. But this is not the heart of the message, okay? Don't get me wrong, okay? We're going to talk about something right now, but it's not the heart of the message, okay? The heart of the message is don't allow false teaching in your life. Do not, do not uh, tolerate false teaching in your life, okay? That's the main message. But here's one false teaching. Just put some meat and bones around this, okay? There's a false teaching that I've been noticing uh, across the nation, okay? Not just in our church, but across the nation, okay? And it's really small. When, when I say it, you're going to be like, oh, that's not that big of a deal. But, but let me explain to you why I think it's so devastating, okay? And here's the false teaching. It'll show up here on the screens for you, okay? False teaching, Sunday worship is optional. I love you, by the way, okay? I love you, and I'm not pointing out anybody, okay? If you're like, oh, did he, like, did, does he know my attendance? I don't know anybody's attendance here, okay? I don't, honestly, like, there's so many times where I'm like, oh, I haven't seen this person in a long time, but my wife is like, no, I've seen them every week. I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know who comes. I don't know who don't come, okay? So I'm not pointing you out, okay? I, but I'm saying this because I love our children, the next generation. And here's what I know, okay? Here's what I know. Anything that's optional today becomes obsolete tomorrow, and if today, okay, what I mean by mandatory, by the way, is like our meals. Meals, food are mandatory for you to live. Of course, you skip a few. You can skip a few and live. But by and far, if you do not eat food, you die. This is what I mean by mandatory. And it's a, it's a way of thinking. It's a mentality. It's saying that Sunday worship is not something that's optional, but it's mandatory. And if today we begin thinking this thing is optional, our children tomorrow, the next generation will, be, will, will start to believe it's obsolete. And it just happened, right? I said one degree off, you keep going for years and years and years, and then later on when our kids grow up, they stop going to church, and we're like, why aren't you going to church? And it's because today we started thinking Sunday worship is optional. But the scriptures are very clear about this. Look at with me at Hebrews 10. This is what our whole, uh, the, the retreat was about, by the way, the, our, 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 our retreat that just happened. This is our, our, our verse. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Okay, so in a world that's telling you all of our confessions are false, all of our truths are false, in a world living like that, we have to hold fast to this confession, right, of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful. And look at verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. That word meet together is synagogue, synagogue. Because the early church, remind you now, remind you now, the early church was a sector of Judaism. So they worshipped in homes, they did, but they also worshipped in synagogues. And they worshipped on the Sabbath. And it's saying, like, don't neglect the synagogue, as is the habit of some. Because this is what's happening in the, in the book of Hebrews, is that people were rich, people were wealthy. They were distracted by all their wealth. They started doing all these other things. And, and the Hebrews writers saying, don't be distracted by those things. Don't neglect this habit of meeting together, of synagogue, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. And look, I, I know, I know skipping a Sunday here and there is not a big deal. And it isn't, honestly. To your spiritual life, I'll be honest. It doesn't hurt you now. But when I think about the future... And our kids, if we believe that Sunday worship is optional today, the next generation will believe it, it is obsolete. There's a social scientist by the name of Ryan Burge. He's a pastor and a social scientist, but he studied why people deconvert. And it's really interesting, okay? Here's a pathway to deconversion, okay? It starts with behaviors, and then it moves to belonging, and then it moves to believing. Let me explain how this works, okay? He says, what happens is people, it starts with their behavior, and you know what he said? The first behavior that goes is Sunday worship. 
People stop going to Sunday worship. But you know what happens is because they stop going to Sunday worship, they stop belonging. They, they, they're like, I'm not, I don't belong to a church. I don't, I don't feel like I, I belong to a particular religious sect. I don't believe I'm a part of a, polit- a particular community. So they stop feeling this belonging. And soon enough, they deconstruct their beliefs. And soon enough, they no longer believe. But the thing that started all was a simple behavior of not going to church. He said the, 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 the reverse is true too. The, the way people actually convert is they first believe things. And then they start to belong to a community because they start acting on some of those beliefs. And then soon enough, they actually begin behaving and they actually start living their faith out. Here's the crazy thing about the church in Thyatira. Some scholars believe it was the first of these seven churches to close its doors. Out of the seven churches in Asia Minor, it was the first. And the reason why is because historically, we don't, it's, it's kind of silent from Thyatira after the second century. We don't hear anything from the church in Thyatira. And most likely, it's because they closed their doors, because they began compromising in these small, small ways. This leads us to the second point. I promise this point's not as long. That was the longest point, okay? Look at what Jesus says about Jezebel. Okay, we're, we're going to get into this kind of like hard part now, okay? I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. Jeez. Jesus Christ, why? Why do you have to be so harsh? Strike her children dead. Okay. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Jesus here uses a very harsh language, but here's what I think is going on. First of all, he gives her time to repent. This, time, this word for time is chronos. And this chronos word means like an age or a season of time. So he gives her this really lengthy time to repent. And even now, he's probably giving her time to repent. Why? Because these letters were typically, this is how church services would go. They would gather like we are today. They would have one of the leaders read the letter to the church. Uh, and then they would sing songs in worship. And during the reading of this letter, most likely Jezebel was probably sitting somewhere along with her followers and he's reading and the leader's reading this letter from John, from Jesus to the church. And so he's still giving her time to repent. So in other words, Jesus is like, come on, please change, 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 please. Like, I don't want to do this to you. I want you to change. But here's the second thing that we think is happening here. Is that more than trying to fear the people, I think what Jesus is trying to do is he's just saying like, wake up. Like, do you know what's at stake? You have physical eyes. You see the physical world. You think it's just the one degree compromise. But wake up. Eternity is at stake here. Like, I just need you to see this reality. So I want you to put on these different goggles, these different glasses to see the world. And I want you to know that there's spiritual things at stake. And, and I just want you to see this. And this is why he has to be so harsh. This is why in Matthew chapter 16, he's so harsh against Peter too. Do you remember this? Peter, uh, he asked Peter, hey, who am I? And he's like, oh, you're the Christ. And then later on, Jesus talks about how he has to go be crucified on the cross. And then Peter pulls him aside and says, never, never, you'll never be crucified. And then look at what Jesus says to Peter in verse 22 of Matthew chapter 16. He says, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned to, uh, and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan, jeez. He's calling Peter Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus is harsh because he's trying to wake them up because we're not setting our things on the things of God. We're setting our minds on the things of this earth. And so let's go back to the beginning of this, right? Look at verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. This language comes to us from Daniel chapter 10 where Jesus is a judge. 
And basically what he's saying with this flame of fire in his eyes, he's saying like, I can see, I can discern between false teaching and I can see between true teaching. He, then he goes on to describe his feet as burnished bronze because what he's saying here is that I have power and I have strength. So I'm not just any kind of judge. I'm a judge who sees clearly, but I'm also a judge that's powerful enough to judge. And so he's saying, look, this is what I will come to do. I will, I will show you that I will judge this church. And yet Jesus says to those who conquer, here's the positive news though. He says to those who conquer, he says this in verse 26. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with the rod of iron. And when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I'll come back to this in a moment, okay? So hold on to this, but lean in and listen to this right now, okay? Because this is important for our next point, okay? Jesus saying this, if you hold fast to my teaching and you don't deviate, if you don't stray away, okay, here's the prize that's coming to you though. The prize is that you are going to conquer and you're going to have authority with me in my kingdom. Because remember what Jesus says in the gospel. He says, he says, I've come, I'm preaching the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is not yet. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is not yet. In some sense, when Jesus came, he brought his kingdom, but not fully yet. But he says, at the end of time, I'm going to fully bring my kingdom. I'm going to be a king. I'm going to establish my dominion. And I'm going to give you power and authority in my kingdom. That's what's waiting for you. Hear that and see that. In addition, when he says that he's going to give them the morning star, he's quoting from Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, where Jesus calls himself the morning star. So he's saying, look, I'm going to give you myself. So here's the prize. You're going to get authority in the kingdom of God. And then you're going to get Jesus Christ himself. Hold on to that for a moment because we're going to come back to this prize in just a moment, okay? Let's move on to our third point, the truth. The truth. How do you know, Eric, that you're not the false teacher? <laughs> this is one of the things that I kept thinking about. How do I know that I'm not one degree off? How do, how do you know that you're off by one degree? How do you know who is right and who is wrong? What, what, what if all of your thinking, Eric, about Christianity is wrong? How do you know you're right? What if you are serving Satan and what if other people are actually not are actually serving Jesus Christ? How do you know you're on the right side in other words? Because that's what false teaching does. Right? He says he says that they are teaching the deep things of Satan. So this woman Jezebel was probably thinking she was actually on God's side. She probably thought she was doing God's will, but in fact Jesus comes back and says actually you're you're teaching the deep things of Satan. So how do I know that I'm not teaching the deep things of Satan and that actually like some other person's actually the false teachers teaching the things of Jesus Christ? How do I know this, okay? Um, uh, okay, I, 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 I have to make this caveat. I'm not an expert in this area, okay? But I'm going to start talking about flight and aviation, okay? I know we have some pilots in our congregation, okay? So if I'm off, you correct me afterwards, okay? But I had to do a lot of research on this, okay? But there is something, this is really fascinating to me, okay? There's a thing called spatial disorientation. And it's really fascinating, actually. And what they say is that Kobe Bryant, when his helicopter crashed, actually, the error that the pilot had made was something called spatial disorientation. And, and spatial disorientation, they say, can actually happen to any pilot at any time and for little, little, little reasons. And, and most of the time it happens to novice pilots because novice pilots don't know how to handle it. But as you begin piloting more and more and more, actually, you, you become aware of spatial disorientation. But here's what spatial disorientation is. It, um, um, actually, sorry, this is what the NTSB said about Kobe Bryant's crash. This is literally from the NTSB report. I had to pull it. So it resulted in the pilot's spatial disorientation and loss of control. That's why Kobe Bryant died. That's why Gianna um, uh, Bryant died as well. 
spatial disorientation is, and I quote from, um, uh, um, I forget where I got this from. It's from oh, Britannica, okay? The inability of a person to determine his true body position, motion, and altitude relative to the earth or his surroundings. Both airplane pilots and underwater divers encounter the phenomenon. And so what this says is basically what happens is, uh, apparently when pilots are flying, sometimes like just by like, they say like even if you like pick up, like let's just say you're flying the plane and you pick up a pen off the ground and you come back up, you can all, uh, experience spatial disorientation. What this is is you think that the plane is going left. And so you want to correct right actually. But actually your plane is level. The plane is level, it's going straight, but you think you're going left. And so the pilot's like, oh, we're going left, I got to go right again. And so look at what um, this guy, Joe Casey, there, there was a, a show that I watched called In the Hangar. He says this, your body works really well on the ground, but the minute we go into the air, okay, we have different forces acting on, our, on your body and your body can lie to you. Your body can lie to you. And when it does, and when you listen to those lies, you end up in a position where you could end up where you put the airplane in a compromising position. Your body lies to you. It feels right, but it's actually lying to you. And so the cure, the cure, what they say, I mean, there's so many cures, but one of the cures that they talk about when they talk about spatial disorientation is they say, trust the instruments. Because the instruments will tell you the truth. Your body's going to lie to you, but the instruments will tell you the truth. In fact, there's a woman named Christy Wong that was on this, um, this podcast I was listening to, and she said this. She said, this is a couple of years ago. It won't be on the screens here for you because I forgot to highlight it, but... There's a couple of years ago, we were getting bounced around pretty good in the clouds. We were straight and level, but she said this, my body kept telling me we were going left, and I kept wanting to correct right. And it is very difficult, to, especially in the early years of instrument flying, to focus on your instruments and say, okay, I trust you. She's pointing down at the instruments. She says, I don't trust this, pointing to her brain. Because you have this instinct to, to want to trust your own brain, but you can't. You have to trust the instruments. Look at what Jesus says in verse 25 now. Let's bring it full back here. Verse 25. Only hold fast what you have until I come. This is what he's saying. Only, what do we have? We have the scriptures. Only hold fast what you have until I come again. In other words, he's saying this. There's no new teaching, folks. If a pastor or preacher comes up to you and says, hey, I got this brand new teaching. It sounds great. It sounds phenomenal. No one in the history of Christianity has ever heard this. I'm going to tell you something new and special here. You say, run, you run away from them. Only hold fast what you have until I come. Jesus gave us his word. This is why you cannot trust your body because your body is subjective. Yes, certain teachings of the world may seem right. But your body can lie to you. You have to trust something objective, instruments outside your body, which is what scripture is. This is why if somebody comes up to you with new theology, you run for the hills. Look, the way you live your life, you've made conclusions about scripture. And when you've made these conclusions, are you certain this is what scripture says? Do you hear what I'm saying? Like, have you studied scripture enough to know that the conclusions you're making are actually from scripture or do they just feel right to you? Like, if you're going to bank your whole life upon this behavior, upon this theology, upon this action or behavior, and you're just saying, yeah, I think I see other Christians doing it. I see other people doing it. It feels right to you and you're not basing it in God's word. I'm telling you, you could be off. You could be spatially disoriented. This is why we have to anchor our, ourselves in the truth of God's word. Have you studied your scripture enough to make conclusions about things? 
that you are going to live your entire life in this particular direction. You're going to teach your kids about this direction. You're going to do all these things in this direction because you're absolutely sure scripture is teaching it. Look, let's go back to the prize now. This is why Jesus calls us to rule with him. Do you understand why? Because he's saying this, the people who are going to rule with me, the people with authority and power are the people who submit themselves in humility to my word. That's why the prize is so great because he says, look, I know right now you feel weak. You're, you're humiliating yourself under scripture. You're humiliating yourself under God's word. I know it doesn't feel right at times, but you have to humble yourself before God's word. And then he says, look, 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 look here. And in the years to come, in all of the eternity, you will have authority and power in heaven. Look, he says that I will give you the morning star. Why? Because when you're living this way under God's word, people will say, that's not what Jesus wants. And Jesus says, no, 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 the prize is myself. I will give you myself. Hold fast to what you have until I come. Look, Jesus Christ died on a cross, not only to save us of our sins, but to establish his word. Why? Because do you understand from the Old Testament to Revelation, from Genesis to the end of the book of Revelation, all of it points to Christ Jesus. It points to his crucifixion on the cross. It points to his resurrection. It points to the promise of new life and everlasting life with him. It points to him and to him alone. This is why he died on a cross, to establish what we have until he comes again look friends i hope i've made a case that look we cannot deviate a single degree off and i pray and i hope if anything comes of this that you would begin reading your bibles more this year because every time we make decisions friends we're making conclusions about what the scriptures say and are we certain this is what the scriptures say or are we just trusting our bodies friends i want to encourage you open up your bibles hear from the word hear from the Lord, hear from God every day. Keep, keep reading it, keep learning from it because you will never ever grow weary of it. You know what's interesting is I came back from retreat and Pastor Jason Min who pastors out in LA was our guest speaker and I'll tell you this, like every message that he spoke, like I'll be honest with you, I knew all those things already. But you know, like hearing it again, man, like I realized alone, like I started going off course a little bit. And I was like, oh yeah, oh my gosh, like, I needed to hear this again. And man, like, I, I was so incredibly blessed at retreat because man, I, I, I think I was spatially disoriented. And I felt like Jason, Pastor Jason Min was pulling me back and saying like, no, no, this is the right direction. I'll, I'll make it even tangible for you. You know, for me personally, like, one of the things that Pastor Jason Min said at our retreat was very simple. He just said, look, like, how much, how much are you asking for the Holy Spirit to lead this church versus you lead the church? I know that already, but, but man, like I started realizing in all of my meetings with our staff, with all of my, me my meetings with Pastor Kenny, in all of my meetings with church people, in all of my meetings, you know what I'm doing always? I'm strategizing about how to grow this church. I'm strategizing about how to make this church better. I'm strategizing. I'm using my own power, my mindset. And, and Pastor Jason Min challenged me again. He's like, hey, like, it's not about you, Eric. It's not about how much you know. It's not about how great you can do things or whatever. It's about the Holy Spirit and what he does. And man, I was, I was just one, like, I would say like 0.1 degrees off, but that little nudge again, I needed that again. And this is why you have to open up your word daily because you're always going to be a degree off. You're always going to be slightly off. And God has to be like, hey, look at the instruments again. Check the instruments again because you, you're a little bit disoriented. 
Friends, I want to encourage you to continuously read your word. Do not compromise. Do not allow. Do not advocate. Do not tolerate false teaching in your life. Allow the true words of God to wash over you, to tell you about his love and his grace and how he has redeemed you, saved you, and he wants you to be his own. Amen.